0: Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Sorry, folks, there's no Ben, Chris, Tom or Jason today. With no Stoke game this weekend, thanks a lot, Wolves, we thought we'd do something a bit different. This episode is all about Frank Sue. The name Frank Sue will probably be familiar to you, but it's a name that really ought to be more celebrated, because Frank was, first and foremost, a fantastic footballer. Frank played over 170 games for Stoke between 1933 and 1945 at inside forward or half-back, and was appointed captain of Bob McGorry's side. Frank was a star with the ball at his feet, and his contemporaries held him in the very highest regard placing him alongside the greats of his day like Joe Mercer, Tommy Lawton and even Stanley Matthews. Frank also has a huge cultural significance, to this day he remains the only person from a Chinese or Asian background to play for England, yet his name seems to have been forgotten by football. Though born in Derbyshire, his heritage, particularly in the early years of his career, was something to be commented on. It is a testament to Frank's personality and ability that as his career progressed he stopped being Stokes Chinese player ...and was recognised for his obvious talent on the pitch. This episode isn't the story of Frank's life. That's already been done in Susan Gardner's wonderful biography of Frank. It's called The Wanderer, The Story of Frank Sue... ...and is something I'd encourage you all to go out and buy. This episode is instead a discussion and celebration of Frank Sue and his legacy. Later in the episode we'll hear Susan speak about Frank's life, his significance and her book... But first, to provide some broader context for us, is a short conversation I had with Junkit Man, MD of Resonate Global Voices on East Asian issues. We know he was born in Derbyshire in 1914. At uh, this time, was there a particularly large Chinese community in England?
1: Uh, you have to remember, the Chinese community back then is very different from the Chinese community that's nowadays. Um, the majority of the Chinese community uh, nowadays come from uh, Hong Kong in 1980s due to the English government owning Hong Kong at the time. So back then the Chinese people were mainly um sailors. This was the very first Chinese people that first settled in, in the UK. And they mainly operated in laundrettes. So back then it's very different and the Chinese population was very small, especially in Derbyshire. It's I can imagine um there's only a nominal amount of people in that area at the time.
0: Yeah, that that, that was uh, definitely true. It's a small village in Buxton where they would have been in a a real minority there before moving to Merseyside. Uh, how was uh, the sort of Chinese community treated? W- w- was it very integrated with uh, British life, or w- was there still a degree of separation there?
1: It's it's unfortunately back then there was a lot of racism felt by the Chinese people. Chinese people were generally quite discriminated um, because a lot of times they were dock workers. And um, a lot of people charge new Chinese uh, laborers as low paid, low, low labor, low mm. rate labor at the time. So a lot of them, are unions didn't like them. So they sort of banned Chinese people from working in docks. So they, they faced a lot of racism at the time and discrimination. So a lot of Chinese people become laundrettes at the time. So they were cleaning, um, doing laundry for other people. So the, the, you think of Chinese people as restaurant owners. That didn't really come about until after the Second World War when soldiers came back from Asia looking for. Um, Chinese food at the time so and then it was just fast. um Frank Su then he
0: is remarkable for many reasons but he remains still the only player of Asian descent to represent England do you have any theories as mm-hmm. to why that would be oh
1: god um, sorry can you say that again
0: uh, yeah, Frank Sue remains the only player of Asian descent to repre- represent England, uh, the national team. Do you have any theories as to why uh, that would be?
1: Uh, I, unless there's loads of context. I mean, you could compare it to why there are no Asians in football today. I think the reasons why there's no not many Asians in football today is because maybe cultural reasons that growing up as immigrants, we weren't really um encouraged to go through the roots of athletics within football. I mean, um we growing up we were encouraged by our parents to go do accountancy, we, we get blue collar jobs, and we weren't really encouraged at all to take any jobs in the arts. So I don't think, you know, that's the one of the reasons why you don't get many Asian people playing football. Frank Su's case was a bit of a I would like to I, I don't want to say it but I think it's a bit of a fake phenomenon to be honest. Um back then, I mean there's not really that many Asian people and Fank Su was half and um half 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 so sorry let me think back then uh fang su was mixed race so that's a bit of a, you know rare anomaly as it is and for him to be good enough standard to play for england at the time it's you know you don't really see that at all so i think fang su was a bit of a freak phenomenon to be honest
0: yeah for sure um Frank Sue's family, sort of, when talking to Susan Gardner, who's written the biography of Frank Sue, have suggested that they feel his his race had a large part to play in his sort of his exclusion from English football history. If you like, he's not really as well remembered as other players from his day. Uh, do you, do you think that is a big factor in his sort of uh, the reason people don't remember him?
1: I don't know. The, the face of football has changed so much. I mean, the advent of television and Premier League, we're more likely to remember recent heroes than we do remember the people from the day that Fang Si was playing. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the late 30s, you know, 40s. Most most people don't really remember the people that were playing that in those days, apart from Sir Stanley Matthews, of course. Um, Sorry, and uh, Matt Busby, I believe. And um, I just think just lost in time, to be honest. Um, racism may play a part in some levels during the 70s and 60s but it's different nowadays I mean the game is so English football is so rich in history that everyone would get lost at at some point in the game Stoke have had their ups and downs in their long history they're the oldest but one club in the league but this team is a fine combination and a happy side may luck be with them as well
0: I'm now joined by Susan Gardner, who has written The Wanderer, the story of Frank Sue, a biography of Frank's life. Susan, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, can I ask then, what got you interested in Frank Sue?
2: Um, it's a tricky one that I I've write about football and I write about history, and sometimes I combine the two. Um, but um, I was really looking into something else I think I was writing something else and I came across his name and as I usually do I start researching people I don't know about and I think I was attracted because um he actually died in the same town that my mum was from which is Cheadle which is not far from Stoke and uh, that just drew my attention and I started to sort of try and find out more about him and the more I found out about him the more Fascinated I became, and the more perplexed, frankly, I was about why he'd been virtually forgotten.
0: Yeah, well, that was one of my very next questions. Actually, yeah. um, by all accounts, the way you describe Frank as a player in the in the in the book is one of the finest players of his generation, if not uh, several other generations. Why yeah. is it that Frank isn't as remembered now as he should be?
2: it's um it's a very strange thing and i think there are several reasons i don't think it's a simple one you know there's, there's a simple answer um i i mean i do believe that he was a very great and important f- footballer in english football Um, And during his lifetime, he really was up there. If you read contemporary newspaper accounts, he really was considered to be up there with Stanley Matthews and Joe Mercer and Stan Mortensen and so on. Um, So why has he been forgotten? I don't I know his family feel it's because of his Chinese background. And I do think there's an element of that. Uh, But I think there are one or two other reasons. I think one major reason is that when he finished playing, he took up coaching. And he spent over 30 years living and working in Scandinavia. And I think if he'd have stayed in Britain, like, say, Joe Mercer or Stan Cullis, who were more or less contemporaries, and are still remembered, um, uh, you know, he he would have been better remembered if he'd stayed and coached, but he only coached for a year, or only managed one club for a year, which was Scunthorpe United. That wasn't very successful. So I think there's that. I think he was also quite an outspoken and difficult at times could be a difficult person. He was he he was one of the early players to stand up for players rights. Um, He's I don't know if he was a formerly a representative of the Players Union, but he certainly was the go to player that newspapers went to when there was a dispute about wages or footballers conditions. And in those days, of course, they were struggling on quite low wages, not like today
0: you you mentioned there that his family feel his uh race may be a, a factor in this uh yeah. sort of lack of legacy almost but yes. um what I, what kind of struck me reading the book was how the contemporary newspaper accounts probably more often than not brought up his heritage but never yeah. used that in a sort of derogatory context
2: yes it's interesting the way he was treated at the time, um, it was always mentioned, especially in the early part of his career. Um, I have to say that it was mentioned less often, I think, by the Sentinel, the Stoke paper, because. Uh, but you did get it in a lot of other newspapers around the country. They always called him a Chinaman, or of Chinese origin, and sometimes they got it all a bit wrong, and you know. But there was a, you know. Um, so it was it was a major point of interest. But I, I always get the impression it was more uh, that it was a novelty, really, more than anything else. And it tended to sort of evaporate, especially when it came to the Second World War, uh, because Frank joined up and played for the RF. He was captain of the RF team. He played for the FA, touring 11. He he went abroad touring, representing Britain. And of course, he played for England. And after that, newspapers called him Frank Su of Stoke City, of the RAF and England, and hardly ever referred to him in this country as Chinese. So he was accepted after that.
0: Yeah. Um, As Stoke fans, I think the name Frank Su is familiar to a lot of us without uh, knowing who he was as a player. Uh, Yeah. Like the name Stanley Matthews. Uh, everyone knows he he was the, he was the wizard of the dribble he played on the on Absolutely. the right hand side yeah. um uh, but sort of I know positions changed over his career and the positions back then are described differently to how they are now but uh, mm. where did he play and how did he play the game
2: well he played um as a sort of defensive mid- left-sided midfielder for a lot of his career um, and I think that's where he liked to play. But he was also quite a creative player, so he was um, moved about quite a bit, a bit, although he played he played in defence. He even played Bob McGrory, the manager, even played him as a forward at times when it was necessary. Um, and unfortunately, I think for Frank, he actually became known as a bit of a utility player towards the end. But what people liked and what Stoke fans loved about Frank Sue was the fact that he was elegant and tricky, um, a a creative player, a fantastic passer of the ball. He didn't score many goals, but that wasn't really his job. But he, you know, he must have had an immense number of assists because he was always there to give the ball to players like Matthews and Freddie Steele um, to put in the net.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. You just mentioned it there. This, this was a unpre well. Uh, this this was the glory years for Stoke. Really, we oh, absolutely we had yeah. a, a a brief cup win in the seventies. But I think anyone Ooh. who was around in the thirties would probably argue this was Stoke's best ever team with Sue and Matthews and Steele.
2: I think so. I, th- I mean, I th- Stoke were really good for a long period. They had a very consistent. Uh, set up with the same chairman, manager and captain for over 10 years and a solid squad of players who stuck there. And it was only the war that really broke it up. Um, So they had the consistency. But they were, yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm finding it quite difficult to get across to um, people who've interviewed me from other parts of the country and also people reading the book and articles about it is they don't really recognise, you know, because his football history only started with the Premier League, apparently. <laughs> um, they, but they they don't actually recognise this Stoke City, and I keep trying to explain to them. Look, you know, Stoke City were one of the most highly regarded teams. They had Matthews, they had they had Neil Franklin, they had Sale, Little, Freddie Steele. They had a lot of players who played for England um, and were, you know. To, Consistently in, uh, towards the top of the first division, and um, probably, you know, better than regarded as being better than Arsenal at the time. Which is it's very hard to explain to people now and make the comparison because Stoke have what I think is quite an unfair reputation these days as as being a sort of Doha footballing side and I, I don't I don't think that's fair now, but it's certainly not fair to give them that image then One of the things I loved was when I was reading some old newspaper reports of matches, and I kept coming across newspaper reports describing Stoke City as a pretty team, <laughs> you know um they, they they were very um fulsome about how how lovely how elegant Stoke's passing game was.
0: Not that different to today. Um, <laughs> um, no. Did anything really surprise you when you were researching the book? Because I, I imagine you'll have come across a, a lot of stuff. Did was there anything you read about him or any any thing that came out of an interview perhaps that you sort of like knocked your socks off? You think, wow, that that was particularly amazing.
2: Um. Wow, yeah, that's a a tricky one. Um, I think, I don't know, I mean, I think I was, I think the thing that amazes me, although it's slightly different, uh, I think, to what you're asking, is the fact that he came from a family of, uh, there were six brothers and one sister, five of them played professional or semi-professional football. Yeah. And for a family that are sort of, half chinese that's quite a remarkable thing so that that surprised me but i I think it was just it's just it's not one thing it's really just the the whole years that he was playing for stoke and then for england where he was and just how highly regarded he was you know there's a lovely photograph um and you know a, a picture often tells it better it's a lovely photograph around. I couldn't put it in the book because of copyright reasons, but it's of Frank suit in the RAF, in uniform, peering out of a plane alongside Matt Busby, Stanley Matthews, Frank Swift and Joe Mercer. And, you know, they are big names in the history of British football. And yet, um, you know, he was right up there with them. So that always amazes me that this man was there. He was you know he was his wedding was on in, in reported in the Daily Mirror and he, they didn't report people's private affairs those days <laughs> he was that famous you
0: know. yeah uh, you raised a, another important point that it's important to mention not only about Sue but about his contemporaries is that they oh, had yeah. their careers interrupted by the second world war yeah and, uh, and for Sue you, you it's of course, the Second World War was horrible for so much more important reasons than yeah. a footballer's career. But that's, that, right. that's six years of a of a career where mm. you, you're not in a continuous league system, and yeah. you, you know you can only speculate as to what he could have won ha- had that. Oh, had
2: absolutely, a... yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the age he was in 1939, like, he was 25. He was actually just coming to the absolute prime. Of his football and career, he was had just been appointed captain of Stoke City, and then the war broke out. And obviously, yes, as you say, it's far more important, and um, people had far more, far worse things happen to them. But I, yeah, I, I'm sure his career would have been very different. Uh, it was just at that point, 1938, is the time when you see people writing to newspapers and newspaper columnists. Clamouring for Frank Sue to be picked for England, um, and you know it's it's just one of those things. I mean, Stoke City were actually scheduled to tour Poland and Germany in the summer of nineteen sixty nine.
0: That did make me laugh when I read it. Yeah, was, I,
2: I know. I couldn't have picked a worse place, really. You There's know. something quite um, typical
0: Stoke about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you you mention at the end of the book about Stanley Matthews who is sort of polar opposites in terms of fame if not talent Mm. uh you mentioned that he sort of from matthew's own narrative in his autobiographies that frank sue's got this kind of strange omission why did you think that was
2: ah well it's a it's real puzzle i mean it really it does puzzle me i mean Stanley Matthews wrote five autobiographies. I mean, the last one you can dismiss because it's really not about that aspect of his life, but um, he hardly mentions him. Now, they actually started playing together at the age of 18. Um, Stanley Matthews had been an apprentice from the age of 15, but he only really came into the Stokeside side around the same time as Frank did. Um, And they obviously must have been mates. I mean, they they'd appeared together in charity matches. They ran a line at at games together, um, raising money for charity. They they were, you know, they they played together. I can't remember off hand how many times, but hundreds of times, both for Stoke and for England and for the Aurea, and yet he hardly gets mentioned in Stanley Matthew's books. I I just feel and I've really puzzled about it myself I feel that Stanley Matthews was a great creator of the image of Stanley Matthews I think in one of his biographies someone calls it the Stanley show and Mm. I think he was very very good at promoting Stanley Matthews so I don't think there's anything nasty but I think maybe there's a bit of professional rivalry they were quite similar in many ways. And they, they were both very highly disciplined players, teetotalers, very, you know, very keen on fitness. Um, they were both elegant players. And I think maybe there was, even if it was subconscious, because I don't think Stanley Matthews was an unpleasant person or anything, but I think that he was... Um, he may have subconsciously just admitted him from his memory, but it is odd. I mean, the, the only, the, I think there are two or three times he mentions him in the five books, and none of them are actually on the football pitch, which, you know, are all anecdotes about time away from the game. So I, I just find that very odd. I don't think it's he didn't like him. I mean, he always calls him Frankie and his mate and stuff and so on. So, but, um, yeah, I, I, that's that's
0: the only way I can explain it, really. It's very odd. OK. Uh, and finally, there's a lot of kind of talk and newspaper column inches devoted these days to the sort of the rise of the Chinese league. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now it's important to stress that Frank wasn't Chinese. He was born in England and mm-hmm. uh, played yeah. for England and so on. But um, interesting, though, that Chinese... Chinese uh, Players of Chinese heritage haven't really had any impact at all in the game, as, as you mentioned in the book. He's the he remains still the only uh, player from an Asian background to play for England. Yes, I, I was wondering if you had any uh, theories on that, or uh, do you think he perhaps deserves to be recognised as a, a part of Chinese football history? I
2: think. He deserves to be recognised as both. Um, When I began writing the book, I actually really wanted to make the case for him as a player of Chinese heritage. And I have had so much contact from both people from Chinese backgrounds in this country, uh, some quite moving things, people who said to me, I really wish I'd known about Frank when I was growing up because I just didn't think being... Chinese boy who was talented at football, I'd ever get anywhere. If I'd have known about him, I might, have. you know, wow. it might have been different. That's an amazing sort of thing for people to say, and I know it's very important to Chinese people that I've spoken to. Um, and also Chinese people abroad, I've been contacted by people in China and Hong Kong and Chinese people from all over the world, Australia, everywhere, and they're all, I think he's a really important figure to them. So I started out feeling like that, but actually, the more I learned about his life, I actually d I I think he was just important in his own right. He was a really good player. He was important in the narrative of English football history, and I think he should be put back there and recognised as a great player, you know, one of the greats. Um, and I, I hope he will. I know that, you know, I've spoken to someone from the FA, and I think that they are beginning to recognise how important he was and
0: i really am hoping that something will come out of this excellent uh isn't it's been a pleasure speaking to you um very much thank you thank you for listening to this slightly different edition of the wizards of drivel podcast once again i'd encourage you to go out on buy the wanderer the story of frank sue if you want to follow us on twitter it's at wizards of drivel we're on facebook facebook.com slash wizards of drivel and it's wizards of drivel podcast@gmail.com if you want to email us we'll be back next week so see you then